0: More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right
1: now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to Father Leader, a podcast assessing leadership and what makes someone a good leader. Are they born? or Are they made? Leadership qualities and more. This is a podcast. You want to subscribe if you want to be a better leader. Hello everyone and welcome to uh, Follow the Leader. I'm your host Ellie Mandelbaum and this is a podcast about leadership and what makes one a good leader if they are born or made in Follow in Follow the Leader I interview a variety of leaders to understand how they became the leader they are and what makes them effective. In this episode, we are speaking with Arsen Ostrovsky, an international human rights lawyer and executive director of the Israel Jewish Congress, an Israel-based NGO ser- serving as a bridge between Jewish communities in Europe and Israel leaders and officials, while supporting the Jewish state around the world in, in the fight against anti-Semitism, BDS, and delegitimization. Arson has testified and spoken in support of Israel before the UN Human Rights Council in Geneva, United Nations in New York, the European Parliament, the Knesset, and and many high-level forums in Europe and the United States. If you haven't realized, he's done a lot. He's considered an expert on anti-Semitism and BDS, as well as in international law and Middle East foreign policy. Beyond all of Arson's actions is a deep sense of Zionism and commitment to advocating for Israel and the Jewish people. Lastly, in 2012, Arson, originally from Australia, made Aliyah from New York. And on top of that, I started following Arson on Twitter and really, (laughs) as you know, I would say opened my eyes a lot to what I need to do as a better person to fight BDS and all the naysayers of Israel. Um, Arson, welcome to the show. I hope I covered everything. There is a lot in there. If not, you can fill in some of the blanks on your background.
0: Thank you for having me on. You've uh, you've definitely covered covered a uh, covered a lot. Of it. There's a there's a few other things, uh, but you've definitely you've definitely covered a lot of it, and it's uh, it certainly has not been a has not been a dull moment or a quiet moment since the day I stepped off the plane and made aliyah. That's for sure.
1: So so why don't we start there? Right? What were you doing before you made aliyah? Like were you were you as active as you are now? You know why, why don't we start there?
0: Look, I definitely wasn't active as I am now. Um, For me, it was a process of uh, of evolution, I suppose. Uh, You know, my family originally were from the Ukraine, from Odessa. So we left when I was very little in 87 and we went to Australia. So I grew up in Sydney, had a fantastic life. Uh, Look, we we left because, you know, we were Soviet Jews and we everyone knows, um, you know, how difficult it was. Um, And we found a home, found a refuge opportunity in Australia had a sort of fantastic life growing up um, but I was also a little bit detached from Jewish life you know my parents my family were very proudly Zionist but they also knew what anti-semitism was like and so in, in many ways you know they wanted me to also to blend in like every, everyone else um, so you know I had every opportunity in life and uh, but for me the turning point was um, was around 2002 when if you remember the um, Jewish journalist American journalist Danny Pearl mm-hmm. Uh, writing for the Wall Street Journal. Um, He was covering um, Pakistan and he was taken by the Pakistani Taliban and executed live on camera. And his famous, you know, very famous, very deeply jarring last words were my father is Jewish, my mother is Jewish, I am Jewish. And that really uh, flicked something on in my head and it got me thinking, you know, what does it mean for me to be Jewish? What does it mean for me to be Zionist, what is a Zionist even? Um, how does Israel fit into all this? So, you know, it really led me into a path of, I suppose, self-awareness, uh, education, learning about my own identity, our, our family history, mm. and you know, I suppose to cut a very long story short, um, I went on birthright. Uh, you know, in two thousand and three, I thought I'd wait until uh, it was peace and quiet here. Was, was that your first time? That was my first time. First time. And oh. it was, you know, I thought I'd wait until it's all nice and peaceful, <laughs> but uh, and I said I'm, I could be waiting for a while, so I went in there really in the peak of the second intifada, mm-hmm. and but I knew, you know, from the moment I stepped foot that you know this is a deeply, deeply special, unique place, and I felt right at home. Um, it took a few more years before I got to the stage where I could actually make aliyah. You know. If, did the good Jewish thing and finished my uh, <laughs> law degree, practiced uh, practiced as a as a corporate litigation attorney in mm. Australia for many years. I uh, went uh, to Israel on a Massar program in mm-hmm. 2009, which only, uh, you know, for me solidified uh, my connection to this land. Um, but the time I made Aliyah, I was immediately before then, I was actually working in New York as a research fellow at a think tank and my focus there was really on the United Nations and the Israeli-Palestinian conflict um, but you know the whole time it was for me I suppose just a transit stop as a you know on the way on the way back to Israel so for me you know when I stepped off that plane it, in many ways um, um, you know through Nefesh Banefesh for whom I'm also tremendously grateful and now also serve on the Nefesh B'Nefesh board here in Israel helping mm-hmm. others realize their dreams but for me you know that day I stepped off that plane and made Aliyah it wasn't as if I my dream had come true which it did but it was in so many ways just the beginning
1: oh, of my dream no it's funny because I, I say that to myself my wife doesn't like it when I say it but my dream you know my, 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 my bucket list goal before Aliyah was to make Aliyah. <laughs> and the problem is when you make Aliyah, you have to come up with new goals because you're here, right? So you have to say, what are you going to do here? And um, But I, I, before you get into what you're doing yeah. now, you know, you know, taking a leadership role is, is never easy. Um, and, you know, it seems like you know, before uh, the, the, the turning point, like in, you know, your 2003 birthright trip and then the Masa program. But, you know, when you were working in New York as a lawyer, Did you have any, like, were you just like another, you know, person just doing their job? Or did you feel that you had a leadership tendency and you just not tapped yet? Like, or, or, you know, as it is now, it's just you became a de facto leader just because you're out there and people follow you. And now, again, you're leading the Israel Jewish Congress. Like, how did that happen?
0: Look, maybe in some ways stumbled upon it. Um, You know, I I
1: don't know if I would necessarily classify
0: myself as a leader. That's, uh, you know, it's very humbling, but I think that's more... Perhaps you know for, for others, or as you know, Golden Meier once famously said, uh, "You know, don't be so humble. You're not that great." <laughs> um, <laughs> very, you know, very wise woman. Yeah. Um, look, uh, you know, you made an interesting uh, sort of analogy, and I can tell you, you know, before I moved to New York, I was working as a corporate attorney in Australia, and around 2009, we had one huge, huge, multi-multi-million-dollar dollars precedent setting case, and uh, I went home and rested and thought you know, tomorrow it's going to repeat, and then again and again and again. But at the same time, it was also the, if you remember the flotilla, the Navy marmara mm-hmm. flotilla. And even in Australia, it became a massive, massive issue. There's a lot of protests, uh, a lot of uh, protests, you know, to condemn, to attack Israel. And in the space of two days, um, with the State Zionist Council, um, with whom I'm actually also the Israel Affairs Director for the Zionist Council of New South Wales. Mm-hmm. Even though I'm not living in Australia yeah. anymore, I'm, you know, still very much... Uh, you know, Australia still has a very deep and important place in my heart and I'm still doing a lot of things to try and sort of strengthen that relationship, which for me is also very critical. Um, so at that time, 2009, together with a few other people, we immediately, literally sprung to action and, you know, organised Even in the community there was a, you know, a debate, how do we respond, public, not public, what do we do? So we organised a massive rally with like several thousands of people within 48 hours to come out and show their support, the solidarity with Israel, with the Jewish people and during this difficult time. And when I came home from that, I thought, well, you know what? That's something meaningful. That's something that's, you know, really, to me, uh, important. And for me, the real sort of difference, you know, I had living in Israel, being part of life here. You know, I always thought that you know, a deep appreciation and respect for those in the diaspora, amazing, tremendous things, necessary, critical things to support Israel, to strengthen the bond. Um, but for me personally, I decided, you know what, this is sort of the real turning point. I could either watch everything happening here as an outsider or I could be here, I could be part of the change, I could vote, I could speak, I could be involved in all aspects of society and things that truly, really... You know, really matter for me, and being here now, it's this incredible. I try to explain this to people. <laughs> there's a sense of uh, vibrancy, and meaning, and life and purpose. Um, you know, and for me, it's you so, know, something deeply important. You know,
1: so I always say, I always go back to the point that a lot of people ask me. You know, what what are the things you like about Aliyah And there are a lot of them. But one of the things I really find it different that you don't get in the American community or probably the Shirlian as well is you don't feel part of an um. You don't feel part of a nation. Right. Your your own silos in each community. I live in Teaneck, I have my shul, I have my mm-hmm. schools. Here, you know, something happens, you really feel it as a nation, right? You yeah. feel and it could be good or bad. You know, you do, you feel it. Even, you know, and it's something that I always find you know, one of the amazing things is, right, you, in America, Australia too, you know, you have all the happy holidays and Christmas and here it's like Shabbat Shalom. I okay. mean, you, you feel much more of a, a of part of an um, And that, that's, for me, is, is that aspect, that comfort, yeah. that, that that ability.
0: I agree completely. You know, uh, you know there are, there are Jewish holidays that when I was living outside of Israel, you know, I respected, I understood, I appreciated, but didn't quite have, and it didn't strike an emotional chord. But, you know, again, one of those things that once, i moved here and i'm living here i understand and i feel that all these holidays at the end of the day they're, they're tied to our connection to this land to thousands of years of connection you know to this to this land and this uh, this country and this people and um, the other example i'd give is uh 2012 a few months after i met Aliyah, um we had um, of course the war with uh, the with hamas uh, in november 2012 i found myself in a um, in a bunker, mm-hmm. Sorry, a bunker, in a in a, in a shelter in at, at the time, and um, he, and the guy next to me uh, asked where I'm from. I said from Australia, he said, probably really regretting now, making a uh, You know, to go to go from Sydney, where my biggest concerns were. You know, like which pub do we go to? Or which yeah. football team do we watch? But I responded, absolutely not. This only reaffirms my decision because this is my country and this is my people and I'm going to be with them when they're under fire and I'm going to be with them when we are rejoicing and celebrating and happy because at the end of the day as you said, you know We are one people And it's one You know One
1: community One nation You know So on that note You know This is an Aliyah pitch For those listening I'm just saying You know I think To myself and Arson I mean You know We are very pro Aliyah. So if you want to come home You speak to us We're happy to help you out Speak to us Our connection (laughs) Benefits With pleasure It's not a a problem We'll even bring Again Shout out to Hillel Fold If you're looking for for a job We'll hook you up with Hillel Or somewhere to eat (laughs) Um, But let's keep moving though So you know you know, it's interesting you're saying, you know, so you, you organize that rally and, and and that really struck something in you. So you, you make all your – so how then did you start really getting more involved? And we're going to talk a little bit about your digital presence because that's it's really strong. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, and not only that, but you are taking all your talents that you have outside of the, the digital world, you know, your debate skills, et cetera, and you bring it there. And you – don't back down from anyone. I mean, you are just like, and, and which is, which is a, I mean, it's, it's good because there aren't a lot of people out there that do that, right? People are timid and people are a little bit afraid. People are like, I don't want to rock the boat. And, you know, I, I'm not sure if it's the right thing to say. I mean, but there is a responsibility. And again, I don't think, I don't know if you realize it or not, but people definitely look to that and say, okay, what is he saying? Right. What are you saying that we could then use as other people go and debate other people? I mean, so how did you start, how did you start seeing that um, in, the, in, in, you know, using Twitter as a platform to really fight the BDS and anti-Semitism? Um, look, I mean, I started
0: sort of picking up on social media as a professional tool probably around uh, 2011, 2010, 2011, Actually I was working in New York at the time. As a research fellow, and um, you know, a lot of uh, my efforts and time were focused on the UN. The Palestinians at the time were just starting their whole uh, pursuit of uh, unilateral statehood. Um, You know, a lot, a lot of things were happening, and I understood. You know, not everyone gets the news from the radio or through print press, which by the time it's published, it's already old press. Um, Especially, and especially when you're dealing with younger people. And you want to reach a new audience. Um, You have to use their language and you have to use their platforms. And, you know, they were, you know, these are people that are looking to social media for their news. Um, They're looking for their, you know, uh, social and professional cues. You're having a lot of influential people from diplomats and government officials and media um, are online, you know, trying to uh, make their presence heard, trying to connect, trying to present their Their positions, so I understood. You know, that's a platform. um, You know, that I need to be, you know, present on. And you know, you know, look, we're we're fighting on so many battlefronts today. You know, we're fighting. We have soldiers fighting um, in Gaza or terrorists in Gaza. We're fighting in the diplomatic courts. We're fighting in, uh, you know, diplomatic circles of the UN. We're fighting in courts through lawfare. We're fighting economically through through boycotts, but. No less important, also fighting on the on the digital battlefront, uh, which is becoming increasingly crucial. Uh, so for me, it's always been something very important, you know, from more or less about ten, ten years ago. And I suppose over that time, and we can talk more if you want, sort of about building that presence, about uh, engaging people, about uh, you know representing what Israel means to me. And you know, in in when it comes down to it, at the end of the day, it's, um, it's a it's a platform for me to tell Israel's story. And what my, what my vision and what my idea of that story is, um, and you know, it's something that I think we're finding increasingly prevalent, increasingly out there, uh, whether it's on our phones and computers and homes. People, you know, looking for the news. You know, when I want to find what's happening in the world, I'm not going to turn on the TV or the radio, mm-hmm. or, or pick up a newspaper. I'm going to go to. I'm going to go online going to see what my friends are saying, I'm going to see what's happening on Twitter, I'm going to see what journalists are posting online before they, before it gets published mm-hmm. the, um, in, in the papers. So it's
1: it's become, you know, uh, second nature to me, I suppose, now. Got it. And so, you know, when did you start seeing the platform really, you know, be effective for you as a voice? And then from there, let's transition into what you're doing now, right? So, you know, you, you came in 2012 you know, and you your platform again, you started using Twitter really as a tool in two thousand and eleven, so a year is not a lot of time, so you you started using it and when when you made alia, what did you start doing here right? What did you end up with because again you know this is it takes time to build a presence here
0: i got to be honest when I stepped off that plane, I had no job mm-hmm. and you know when i <laughs> when I look back now it 's a while back, you know I, not sure to laugh or cry or that, <laughs> I remember the conversations I had with, uh, with family. Um, I did not know what my plan was going to be when I got off that plane. Um, I did not have a clear career path. Uh, my hero was not fantastic. It could still be much better. Um, but I didn't know what I was going to do. Um, but I knew that I had to at least give it a go. Because I could always regret it later if mm-hmm. I didn't. Um, but I knew I had to at least come here and make a go at it and I was confident enough in my abilities um and ability to I suppose network and um you know find those uh, those doors uh but i would be okay and I was okay so mm-hmm. the first I suppose half year or so you know it was a really climatizing. um it was really trying to find my feet in the ground you know I did a lot of independent works and writing um of uh, consulting, um, but did uh, you have a
1: network here? Like, did I you had have a limited network. Limited network. Uh, okay.
0: you know, I made friends over the years, mm-hmm. um, uh, but it was, I suppose, a limited network. Uh, you know, I look now, and you know, I'm. So grateful to have so many friends and people that you know—not just family, but friends who mean the world to me. Colleagues uh, from the pro-Israel community, from you know different circles uh, that I can rely on, not just on a personal level first of all, but also on a professional level when something's happening in order to collaborate, to work together, to uh, you know, to advance our sort of mutual goals. Uh, but I came here with. Literally, my uh, my two bags, my copy of Herzl's The Jewish State, which I read um, read on the flight to Israel, um, and you know things started falling into place sort of within about half a year. You know, I went to Ulpan, I and then I you know, s- uh, stepped into this uh, organisation. Right now, the Israeli Jewish Congress. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, wearing many hats now with the you know with the Zionist Council in New South Wales as well, and I human rights attorney, um, you know, I do a lot of writing, a lot of, uh, you know, whatever hat I'm wearing, and I suppose the main hat I'm wearing is always first and foremost as a, as a family man, as a husband, as a father, mm-hmm. which is good because if we're going Hebrew right to left, that is, uh, that's <laughs> first in case my wife asks. Um, but in, you know, in, in every hat, in every sort of... Uh, position I'm in, it's all, you know, for one purpose, it's to, you know, out of a deep sense and, uh, you know, love and respect for the state of Israel and out of my Zionist uh, ideals and, you know, I, I want my daughter to, my children, uh, I want them, you know, my family to grow up not having to worry about rockets, not having to worry about being part of a state that's incessantly, you know, delegitimized and, and attacked. So everything, everything I do is done with my Zionist had it because out of love for this country, this land, this people, uh, our history.
1: So it's funny, you know. That's a good segue into the. I was reading one of, the, I think, one of the interviews you did with the JTA. Yep. You know the Kol uh, Yisrael Avarim Zelazeh. Yep. You know, all Jews are responsible for one another. R- resonates with you well, yeah. um, and, and I definitely hear that. You know. Um, you know One of the things Like You, you know It's like you're, you, you are almost like a, a default leader Without even knowing <laughs> it though I mean You know it, it's, it's You know you, you, Because you're I'm taking I'm going to quote it, that
0: on my Twitter. <laughs> I'm going to update my Twitter bio now
1: <laughs> leader, leader by default yeah. <laughs> I mean because You know a, a lot of people Argue And they You know Again We had a lot of people I, Again Ari Fould was a great one of them yeah. um, Avi Abel There are a lot of people here but no one has a, a big of a voice, in a sense, that you do in terms of I, again. And I'm, I'm saying now, in in sense of you know, you have I, I, over fifty thousand you know people following you, and again, given your Israel Jewish Congress, given your stature in terms of what you're doing now on the community side, you know, there are a lot of people looking to you in terms of what you say. It carries weight. Do you feel pressure with that? I mean, do you feel that there's a... Or are you just saying, you know what? I am who I am. I'm going to do what I I believe in. And I don't really care. If they follow, they follow. (laughs) Um, You know,
0: I believe Churchill... Yes, Churchill. I think it was Churchill once said, reportedly anyway, um, that you have enemies, good. That means you stood up for something sometime in your life. Um, You know, I, I wear my heart on the sleeve. I, everything I write, everything I say, I mean... Um, you know, it comes out of a desire to make Israel's case. It comes out of a desire to not just, and it's very important to me, sort of in this dichotomy, it's not just as a way to um, to respond to the haters, the detractors, those people that would spread lies and, uh, you know, uh, try and delegitimize the very essence of uh, the Jewish state, uh, whether it's with Boycott attacks, anti-Semitism, Holocaust denial, um, misinformation about what's happening with the rockets. Um, but on the other hand, it's also as a way to promote Israel, and it's critical for me. It's a platform to tell Israel's story, and we have an amazing story, we have a compelling story, of a powerful story to tell. You know, it's not only an indigenous people returning to our homeland after 2,000 plus years through. Uh, pogroms and exile and Holocaust and and anti-Semitism, but you know, we're people that have rebuilt a nation, rebuilt a land. That we, are our you know, economy, our entrepreneurship, our innovation is the envy of the world. We have incredibly dynamic um, cultural scene. Um, we have uh, musical artists come from over the world. We had. Argentina, Lionel Messi playing here. You know, <laughs> the, the God himself <laughs> well, himself came here to uh, to play. Apologies for your religious religious. It's, 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 it's okay, um, but we have an incredibly beautiful story to tell, I and mean, you know, this incredible diversity of of people, of uh, melting pot, of cultures, of uh, Jews that have come from all over the world, literally, me from Australia, you from America, Jews that have come from Europe, that have come from North Africa, that have come from Arab countries, South America, South Africa, and... You know, we have come here because we are, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter where we are, we're united by a, you know, a common history, a common connection to this land, uh, to our religion, our faith, our history, our, our very identity, which for me stems from here. And, um, you know, when I go online, I go online always proudly as someone who is a proud Zionist, as someone who will always tell the truth, however difficult it may be sometimes, but I will tell the truth and I will make sure that I correct those who spread lies and misinformation and try to attack us, but at the same time I also try and um, you know, engage with people and try and tell our story and um, you know um, what it means to live here and um, you know why this is such an incredible place.
1: So, you know, and I, everything you're saying I agree with. Just, just want to point that, that, that out. Give it, to, give it time. I'm sure we'll find some <laughs> Instagram. Um, so, with the Israel-Jewish Congress, though, I mean, why don't you tell us more about it? Because I don't know how many people are familiar with it. But give a little bit more background on on the objectives you're doing and and some of the outreach and some of the things that you're you're doing. Because you know from combating uh, you know worldwide BDS um, mm-hmm. and how do you get others to get more involved in care?
0: Okay, well, look, I should probably say you know when I'm when I'm online, I'm online as Arseny Ostrovsky. Mm-hmm. and like you know I wear many hats, but when I'm online. I suppose primarily I'm online in my personal capacity, uh, but of course I do also wear many other hats. Um, look, with respect to the Israeli Jewish Congress, you know I think it's a very unique and very special organization. It was started in uh, 2012 by a number of uh, uh, prominent um, Israelis um, that came together, and they found something that was missing. You know we have many, and this is sort of the uniqueness of it. You know there are many fantastic organizations. Uh, pro-Israel and Jewish organizations outside of Israel. They do tremendously important work in terms of supporting Israel, in terms of reaching out to Israel. The thing is, in many ways, they look from the outside towards Israel, Mm -hmm. whereas as an Israeli-based organization, we look from Israel to the outside. We look to them. So the primary purpose, um, you know, we started off as an organization to act as a bridge between Israel and Jewish communities in the diaspora, uh, focusing specifically on Europe, uh, because in Europe we found that there was, I suppose, a mechanism or infrastructure that was lacking, That just in America they have that presence, and mm. um, in Europe it was lacking on the one hand within Europe itself to connect the Jewish communities, but more specifically also to connect those communities here with Israel. So in many ways, you know, we've sought to uh, act as a, as a voice or as a partner, as a bridge to those c- Jewish communities in the diaspora in Europe uh, to bring their concerns to Israeli officials, lawmakers, leaders. We bring a lot of delegations here, you know, whether it's focusing right now on issues of anti semitism BDS, on Jewish life, Brit um, on uh, Aliyah, on uh, all sorts of different things. Um, but also... Um, I suppose the other side of it is, um, you know, and very critical to our work is to support Israel and the international community. And that includes everything from going to the UN, where, you know, I've been fortunate or unfortunate, (laughs) depending on how you want to look at it, uh, to speak a number of times on Mm -hmm. on our behalf. Um, It's uh, working with the parliamentarians from Europe. Um, It's also, by the way, working closely. With the American Jewish community and American leadership, because we also understand that, you know, again it goes to really the really core of what we're doing. We are one people, and you know, we take the view that if a Jew is assaulted or attacked in Europe, it's the same as if a Jew anywhere is attacked, and we all need to come together because what hap- what starts off in a corner in a pocket in Europe will then spread like a disease, like a cancer, throughout the rest of the society so we you know we work close to the american jewish community in different elements and also with a number of american elected leaders because you know our focus is mostly europe but not exclusively mm-hmm. europe, but also understanding that america also has tremendous certainly now as well has tremendous influence on what is happening in israel and the effect and the uh what, you know um how we can use that uh, in europe in order to help
1: Promote Israel's position and greater understanding. So, so what are the, some of the stuff? I mean, you know, was, there is a responsibility, you know, uh, you know, in a sense, representing Israel to the to, to the Jewish community, mm-hmm. right? So, are you, you know, educating them on different aspects of uh, life or you know Israeli life, or are you trying to teach them some of the culture? Like, what are you going to the communities for? Are You teaching them what? the the talking point like what needs uh, i'm just trying to get a little bit more of yeah. you know if, if again um so what the messaging in a sense um
0: look i mean we also take the view that at the end of the day the, those communities on the ground um know what works best for them mm-hmm. um i don't presume i never would for a second to go into any community whether it's in europe uh, or america Um, and tell them what's best for them. They know what's best for them. We work with them to try and find a way to uh, amplify that and to empower them, essentially. Mm -hmm. So if they say, um, you know, uh, say it's an issue of anti-Semitism or or there's a BDS campaign, um, we ask them, okay, how can we help you? And, you know, whether it's to bring Israeli lawmakers and officials to places in Europe to tell that case, to tell that story, whether it's to act as a as a conduit for information. Right now, I'll give you a very concrete example. Right now, we had the, the last week, we had the rocket bombardment. And, you know, we also had communities and friends and allies, not just Jewish, pro-Israel groups uh, in Europe as well. Uh, Jewish communities especially asking, you know, what can we do? You know, you stand with us. We want to stand with Israel as well. Mm-hmm. Um, how can we help? So, you know, it's a, it was an opportunity to convey information to them, uh, tell them what is happening here on the ground. So they can go and make the case for Israel in their own language and in their own way to their own communities and their own leaders and their own parliaments. Uh, But we can help provide them those tools and uh, that real-time information and help sort of equip them in order to make that case. But then they they will make the case in their own way because they know how to do it best. But we can
1: help them in terms of to get to that... um, to that stage and and which is you know again that's that's good to know on that side and how many what's your reach been I mean you know so you started in 2012 now you know we're 19 now you know over the time you know has your reach grown I mean, and how do you get it out there, right? How are you building on top of it? How many, but how many people are, are working with you in the, in, in the Israel
0: Jewish Congress? Um, look, i reach look definitely over the years. It's uh, definitely growing. you know, one of the things people ask, you know, uh, you know, how many people do you have working for? You assuming there's like a team of like in the dozens and dozens and dozens. We're a relatively small team, but that said, we have a fantastic team and leadership uh, that's you know committed to the organization, that are passionate, they love Israel, that. Understand the importance of you know what we are doing and working, not just Jewish communities but pro-Israel allies, in order mm. to uh, convey the message uh, about you know the the difficulties and struggles they're facing, how we can help them, and why it's important for people in Israel to pay even greater attention to what, what is happening beyond our um, shores. You know, it's not just the diaspora; it's not just uh, North America, which is you know the largest outside of Israel. There's also a very large community in Europe. Uh, which mm-hmm. is not homogenous either. That's yearning to be heard. That's yearning for our for our help, um, and to be a part of the, the broader community. So it's important to also get their messages. Um, you know, I, I I can't give you numbers in terms of um, our reach as an organisation, but certainly it's you know it's quite extensive across you know most, if not I'd say all Jewish communities uh, within uh, Europe. I would say. Um, certainly and very many pro-israel allies as well because we understand at the other day you know when we want to make the best case for israel we need to work um and help empower those that do support us and you know i I'm, i don't for a second believe it's very easy to fall back on the belief that um certainly in europe that you know we're like fish sea that we're alone and it can't seem that way and it can be a very challenging sort of yeah. perception God. of uh of Israel and Europe, it's a very strained relationship mm-hmm. in many ways. But you know, I can tell you from the number of times I've been there, and the number of people that we've brought from Europe, Jews, non-Jews, politicians, uh, students, you name it, that have tremendous support and appreciation, love for Israel, understanding the challenges we face. But you know, it's a way of finding. We need to find a way to, you know, to amplify. Those voices to help them make that case, so they need to be heard, um, and we need to do a much better job here in Israel in order to help them make that case. You know, so I,
1: I want to get off a, a second on, on yeah. a little bit of a topic. Great. Right. So, given what you're saying, I mean, what is your you know attitude towards you know? Again, coming from the states, one of the biggest. Places where things are getting rooted in in anti semitism and is B- Israeli college campuses. Mm-hmm. Are you have you thought about making more? Of, and I know there's a lot of organizations out there, but a lot of them, you know, are timid, afraid. They don't want to be you know uh, be preyed on by you know people in the BDS movement or anti semites, etc. Are you do you feel or do you think there's an opportunity for you to take some of that? Um, just what you're doing with the communities and trying to empower, because what you're doing is really empowering people, empowering communities in a sense. And you know, because like, again, you look at New York, right? Where you, Columbia University, which is literally one, in New York is probably the biggest Jewish community outside of Israel, and Columbia University, which is a, a lot of Jews go there. There, it's a, it's a. Uh, I would say rampant anti-Semitism and, and and the BDS, which is really synonymous with anti-Semitism, uh, there. Um, do you feel that there's an opportunity or do you feel that there is a, uh, per, you know, not a purpose, but more of a need for you to go there? Do you compel? Like, do you think you have something to offer them and say, no, let, let me see if I could work with some of these, you know, the the, the people on the ground already there and, and give them more tools To combat this, yeah. Look, I mean, I look. First of all, I think
0: what's happening on campus is incredibly, certainly in America, is incredibly um, disturbing. You know, I have a good friend who's a uh, Israeli um, Muslim um, journalist, and he he says that he sometimes feels more concerned speaking on campuses in the U.S. than uh, he does uh, interviewing. uh, Islamic jihad <laughs> leaders in, in Gaza. Um, it is very disturbing. Um, it's, you know, I hear so many stories of um, students who feel, um, you know, they're being intimidated, um, who feel that campus authorities are letting them down, who, was, you know, they go to political science classes and the teachers are openly, openly hostile. And if they dare to speak up, then they either get knocked down or their grades threatened to become reflected in that Mm -hmm. um you know what's one of the biggest dangers i think is that it will force uh, jewish students to be less jewish because at the end of the day you know i went to university lived on campus because i wanted to study Mm -hmm. i didn't want to be harassed or assaulted or having to go through mock checkpoints and, and the like um so you know i don't I think there's a real threat, and I hope it doesn't come to this, but where Jewish students will say, you know what, I don't want to be involved. I leave me out of this. So they
1: just sort of step, step around that. Um, but that never works. I mean, we, we've seen that. You can't just, I mean. You can't, you can't avoid it. You right? can't avoid I mean, that's the whole thing. You can't avoid it. I mean, you know. again, You can't it, avoid it, it, it. You have to know your history. Because, you know, we've oh, tried absolutely. that. You, you can't. There's no way you could hide as much as you want. You could suppress it as much as you want. You don't. But people will still know that you're Jewish and they'll come after you. And look, at the end of the day, these are the
0: people that, you know, today's students are tomorrow's leaders. Correct. They are the ones that become elected officials, uh, leaders in industry and uh, CEOs of companies, um, you know. So these are the people that are, you know, going to be making decisions um, into the future. Um, So it's, you know, I think it's a critical battlefront and it's probably one of the most important ones because at the end of the day what are we talking about? We're talking about the future generation not only of Jewish students because we want them to be you know closer to their Jewish identity and supportive of Israel and Zionism but also talking about those who would seek to attack and assault these very same principles also the next generation yeah. and it's this this conflict and um, you know, there are, I think a lo- number of you know very good organisation organizations um, the doing tremendous work, not just online, but uh, working with students and campuses um, in the United States in our groups like Stand With Us, groups Mm -hmm. like Students Supporting Israel, um, you know, who are not afraid to, who are not meek, who are not afraid to stand up to those who would... uh, you know, instigate mock checkpoints and Israel Apartheid Week uh, things. And um, when speakers like uh, in Colombia, for example, Mahathir Mohamed, the, you know the openly proud anti-Semitic leader of Malaysia, came just, you know, a month ago, they will speak out against that. Um, so, you know, I know for a fact that for a lot of these students, it is very difficult. It feels very intimidating. Um, so certainly... What we can do to work with some of these organisations that are already on the ground mm-hmm. um, to help support them, um, certainly from Israel and in terms of what they're doing and their efforts, there to get information to them. You know, it's and it's not only uh, just getting that information, which is important, but it's also conveying that. You know, and when you speak about Israel advocacy, and certainly something very important to me. You know, it's first of all we need to know what's going on. We need to know the facts. We need to know the history, but we also need to know how to convey that how do you convey that to someone on the left to someone on the right? How do you convey that to someone who already supports us versus someone who believes in a one-state solution, who's an... or who just doesn't... who says they love Israel but don't like the settlements? Um, You know, how do you make that case? So it's something that we also need to be training certainly the The younger gen, not everyone essentially, but especially the younger generation, uh, those on campus, how to make that case. I suppose the most effective uh, way.
1: And and so, do you, you know, give them literature? Do you videos? I mean, how you know? Again, it's you know, part of it. A lot of it. You know, one of the best ways to defend it is to actually be you know versed in it right it's not to be ignorant right you got to understand what you're talking about you got to understand that you know are you giving them it, it, have you created you know um, materials for them absolutely um, you know we've done that we've worked with
0: different organizations already on the ground a few that I mentioned mm-hmm. um, I'll give you a few concrete examples in Europe you know we've taken um, we took a group of uh, university leaders from across Europe to Auschwitz a number mm-hmm. of them who and not, not Jewish number of them who'd never been there and, you know, one of the first things one of the student leaders did uh, from one of the Eastern European countries when he came back on campus uh, passed a resolution on anti-Semitism. Directly, you know, that was within weeks mm-hmm. of him returning from Auschwitz. You know, mm-hmm. he said, wow, you know, it sort of puts this in context. So we want to do something. Um, we've, you know, we have a program where we work with... Um, Young student leaders, like from high school age, we help support them. Uh, for example, when they go overseas uh, debating,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know, and there, you know, it doesn't matter. They're, they're at the end of the day, and it's a reality of also living in Israel, that when you go overseas, you become an ambassador, for better or worse, you're an ambassador for the state of Israel. Yeah. Um, so you have to know what is happening. So you know, we we've taken them on, uh, you know, different uh, countries across Europe after working with them here. In Israel, helping uh, you know train them in uh, in advocacy, in, uh, in the, you know in history, in Zionism, in communications, um, and let them you know work with them once they go overseas for short periods, and you know when they reach out and speak out to these different communities. Um, but it's you know at the end of the day, you know we're talking about like I said, you know this is the next generation. This is these are not only our future leaders, but these are also the future leaders of society that would seek to. Uh, take away our rights, and they would seek to it, uh, mm-hmm. you know, attack us and yeah. deny our very sort of you know legitimacy. Mm-hmm. So we need
1: to uh, we need to work on both fronts. I hear that. So is, you know, switching gear a second, we have a few more minutes to go here. Yeah. Is there anyone that you felt that made an impression on you to be an advocate? You know, to be you know, like I said, you know, a default leader. Because again, I don't know if you ever really, you, the leadership came to you in a sense, and I view you as a leader because you represent, you're going out to the, to the communities and you're advocating up on behalf of Israel, so you're, you're, you are, people do listen to you and they follow you, so by that fault by that, mm. by that, you know, by that terminology, you, you are the, a, a de facto leader you know, did someone you know, whether in Australia or, or New York did someone really make an impression on you saying, well, you know, that, that is just you know, someone I could go to or look up to Besides the four people you have on your desk, right? We have Churchill, Reagan, John Patinsky, which, yeah. and, and then you have Begin. But outside of those four.
0: <laughs>
1: um, look, you know, to be honest, though, those
0: four, it's funny you should mention that, um, you know, have inspired me in many ways. You know, when you when you talk about uh, leadership uh, qualities, you know, what does one look for in a leader? And, you know, for me and all four of them, I think, represented that, you know, in one they represented um, courage Mm
1: -hmm.
0: you know uh, just a few weeks ago we marked 30 years since the end of the Berlin Wall and Reagan was you know obviously instrumental in that Um, you know but they all of them uh, Begin and Jabotinsky you know they were alive during you know different times but you know Begin you know grew up in the underground and then he brought us uh, brought us peace with um, with the Egyptians um, Churchill, you know, he single-handedly stood up to the Nazis. Mm-hmm. And, you know, these are, for me, you know, people who had courage. Uh, but they're also people that inspire. You know, that's not a virtue that's incredibly important for me in leadership, of, you know, to be able to and to look up to people that, that inspire. You know, you don't want to tell someone how to do X, Y, or Z. You want to work with them to empower them. And to teach them how to do that so they can go ahead and do that on their own. Mm -hmm. Um, You don't want to... You know, I never look at myself as a manager. I hate that word. Um, But, you know, some that leads, they inspire others by their actions, by their character. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, I think today we're... In this day and age, certainly in 2019, there's a real shortage, I believe, unfortunately, of people um, like that that are... That have that courage that have that character that have that um that uh, ability to uh, to inspire um you know i, I couldn't give you any one person i mean i, I don't want to give any one person from my personal life because to be honest it was an amalgamation of many people. Okay. You know, I've uh, been involved in the Jewish community. I've been involved in the human rights community. I've been involved in the pro-Israel mm-hmm. uh, advocacy community, and a lot of these communities yeah. <laughs> um, overlap in, in many ways. And you know, I've been privileged, honestly, been truly privileged to work with so many people, uh, look up to so many people, and in their own um, unique ways, have you know inspired me to. To learn that have inspired me to, um, you know, to be the advocate that I am, uh, to speak out. um, You know, at the end of the day, you know, people um, they'll ask me, you know, if you go to the UN or whatever it might be, did it work? Did you win? (laughs) Like, you kidding? me? Of course not. (laughs) We, 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 of course, we we didn't win at the UN. We we can't win because of pure numbers. But we have a duty and obligation to speak up. And it all comes down sort of to my my Zionism, you know. The modern state of Israel is only 71 years old. And it's not that long ago where we didn't have a voice, we didn't have a state, we didn't have independence and sovereignty. Mm -hmm. We have our voice, we have our army, we have our parliament, we have not just for me the privilege but the duty to speak out, to make the case for Israel, to defend the state of Israel and to support the Jewish uh, nation. And so, you know, I no, we might not win every battle, We are winning many, many more battles, but we have a duty and obligation to speak out, to correct the truth, and to advocate for the one and only Jewish state.
1: Excellent. And on that note, it's really been a pleasure speaking with you. Uh, I I really, definitely insightful, um, definitely inspirational. um, And I thank you for your time. I'm Ellie Mandelbaum, and this is Follow the Leader. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, Please give us a five-star review and tell your friends about it as well. We are available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else you listen to podcasts. Lastly, don't forget to check out my other podcasts, Plugged In.